Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legend. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur. He's been in e-commerce for almost a decade, and uh, he's in kitchen, uh, eco-friendly kitchen product space. And he's also the host of the Seller Process podcast. So everybody meet my guest, Gianmarco Melli. Welcome to the show, Gianmarco. Hey, hey, Nick. Glad to be here. Great to have you here. So... So everybody, I uh, usually start with something interesting. And here uh, I have a riddle for everybody listening. So when you cross an Italian uh, who lives in Bali and has a Hong Kong company to sell products, what do you get? So Gianmarco has the answer for this, right, Gianmarco? So what is the answer? Well, yeah. I have the answer. I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's an Amazon seller who have, happened to be me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> okay. the, that's the answer. <laughs> so uh, let's, uh, because there are, this is becoming quite a trend these days with the, especially after COVID, the remote work environment has become so popular and frankly required in many cases. People are kind of choosing to, live wherever they want rather than go where the work is so uh, let's get into the logistics of this so first of all you being an italian is not really that important because everybody's from somewhere in america right so <laughs> that's not that important however um, being an amazon seller with a hong kong company so Let's talk about that because uh, in order to open an account in Amazon uh, on Amazon Marketplace in the U.S., you need to have certain requirements. So walk us through your corporate structure, first of all, for your Amazon selling account. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so basically, uh, the main reason why I started uh, this Amazon business with uh, the Hong Kong companies that I used to live in China. Uh, so I, I, I spent uh, over like six years living in China. And that's kind of a uh, best practice for most uh, Chinese sellers or, or foreigners who live in China is to set up a company in Hong Kong. Uh, also because there are like lots of uh, tax benefits. So um, if you are not a resident in the U.S. and you're, uh, you also don't have, you know, um, uh, a very stable place, let's say. So you're, you're able to do this kind of, let's say, digital nomad life, right? So uh, setting up your company in one of these tax havens, it might be an option for you. Uh, tax havens are, for example, Hong Kong, Singapore, and even, even the U.S. It's a tax haven for non-U.S residents. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so that was my first choice. So basically, you know, I uh, set up this uh, Hong Kong company, and I uh, linked it directly to the to the Amazon account in the US. And that's, that's what actually most sellers based in China do. 
and what that's what I've done. And uh, it gives you lots of there are obviously pros and cons to this structure, but um, uh, the pro uh, is, is a, it's a big it's a big one because uh, you basically don't pay income taxes on everything that is uh, um, all all the income that comes from outside Hong Kong. So in this case, you know, I, I sell in the U.S. and other like five countries, and uh, so the income tax. Uh, the, the, sorry, the income is not taxed in, in Hong Kong. So that's the pro. Uh, there are some other cons that like, uh, you know, I cannot set up, uh, I cannot get some uh, lending. I, ca I cannot borrow money basically from most of these companies that are borrowing, uh, that are lending money only to US companies. And uh, I cannot get a credit card. <laughs> uh, it's difficult to... Um, it's difficult to set up a bank account, even though you actually don't need it because, uh, you know, there are all these kind of uh, financial services like wallets, for example, like uh, TransferWise, Payoneer, uh, AirWallex. These are all like um, similar to banks uh, and allows you to do business uh, in a similar way as if you ha have a bank account. So your seller account, you have a professional selling plan and that is Sorry. registered in the name of your Hong Kong company. Right. So let's talk about your brand registry. So what your brands, where are your brands registered and whose name are they in? Yeah, so that's really simple. It's, it's a very similar structure as uh, if you own an LLC, for example, or a C-Corp. Uh, I, uh, I have, you know, all the brands registered under the Hong Kong company directly, which in the beginning I thought it would be uh, my kind of um, uh, mother, uh, let's say, uh, company like uh, but uh, eventually you know it's actually for me it's also an operational company so in the future I actually plan to move everything every like intellectual pro properties to uh, to this to the Hong Kong company and then set up like uh, operational companies that operate the individual brands but that was you know the first structure when I didn't know I didn't know anything about uh, corporate structure. So that's how I went on uh, in the beginning. Now I would probably do things differently, but uh, that was the, the structure I started with and it's still, it, it, it still worked fine for me. So, I mean, you didn't know maybe at the beginning, but you did it the right way because the most significant thing here is the brand registration with the patent and trademark office has to be in the same company's name as the one that owns the seller account. That's how you connect. Yes. The two. So if you, right. if you had your Hong Kong company to set up your seller account, and then you registered the brand in your parent company's name, then they would be different. And uh, your seller account would basically be seen as a reseller of that brand. It would not connect. Mm -hmm. So you, you did it the right way, and that's usually the case. But what I'm hearing for the first time actually is, I mean, I guess it's, it's not uncommon, but I just didn't come across any. Um, a seller that, has, that owns a brand that's on brand registry that is controlled by a non-US company, a Hong Kong company. 
Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, the structure of, of most uh, foreign foreigners or foreign companies, right? So uh, U.S. residents usually set up a company in the U.S. also because they might be, they might have problems with the IRS if they do uh, otherwise. But uh, if you're not a U.S. resident, you can set up the company usually in the place where you are resident. Um, but in, in my case, you know, I was resident in China at that time. So, uh, that was, uh, the reason why I set it up uh, there. And, uh, but if you have, as I said, certain conditions, like, uh, you're a digital nomad. So you, you really don't have, uh, let's say a specific place of residence. Uh, it could be a good opportunity to set up companies in these tax havens. Yeah, and your trademark registration and benefit of, of that of that. Yeah. yeah. So, but your trademark registration was with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, right? That yeah. was yeah. So you still have mm -hmm. to register in the U.S., but you can put it in the name of the foreign entity, and then the same foreign yes. entity has the seller account. So that's the structure. Okay, exactly. that, that's uh, that's that's good to know. There was one question though. This may be one of the cons, I guess. So. Uh, recently, Amazon implemented this new uh, thing, I guess, about providing more information about sellers. They display the flag of the seller's country above the mm -hmm. listing. So uh, in your case, does it show the Hong Kong flag or what does it show? Yeah, it would be the Hong Kong flag, yeah, which is a red flag with uh, some kind of uh, um, leaves or something. Yeah, yeah. I noticed, I noticed those. There's quite a few. I mean, there's it's the American flags and then the other Hong Kong flags. There's, there's quite a few. So now I understand yes. why. So basically, does that mean that whenever we see that, that red flag, the, there's more than likely it's a Chinese operating it behind the scenes? Uh, I mean, uh, ho the Hong Kong flag is different from the Chinese flag, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, so usually Chinese Chinese people they set up a company in China, um, while uh, foreigners living in China they set it up in Hong Kong. Oh, uh, that's I a little see. bit different. Okay. Yeah. So there is a difference. Yeah, because it was before it was part of Great Britain, right? So, uh, and then when it reverted back to China. Uh, it, it became part of Chinese territory, but Hong Kong maintained this, this independent spirit and some kind of, uh, I see. So right. Chinese people, so Chinese operated seller accounts have the Chinese flag, but uh, not, uh, foreigners living in China operate the seller accounts with the Hong Kong flag. Okay, that's a, that's a new... Mm, most of the time, let's say, yes. Right. Cool. Okay. So, uh, so tell us about your, your operation as far as, you know, having for anybody who's looking to do the same kind of thing. When I say same kind of thing, uh, living outside the U.S., but running, I'm assuming you're doing uh, FBA, right? Yes. So how do, you, how do you structure that operation? Walk us through yeah, well, I guess it would not be that uh, different from a U.S. resident in a way, um, because uh, um, it, everything can be done, you know, uh, online, right? So even U.S. people uh, running their their operations on F with a, an FBA account, 
they they do everything online so uh, i would say there is not too many differences uh, it's just uh, you know the, the the way i'm uh, i'm structuring it is uh, maybe i i'm more focused on you know efficiency uh, and you know kind of achieving more with less uh, building a building a team and um, you know uh, trying to to create systems and uh, uh, also uh, writing sops and structuring the business in a way that would give me more time um, and uh, make made, make me able to to scale it uh, while I'm also traveling uh, and uh, living abroad. So yeah, maybe we can go more into the specifics of uh, certain yeah, so, uh, type of uh, operations. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I'm always very systems oriented, so I'm I'm always thinking process, you know, systems, and uh, but at some point in time things start to happen physically. So in this case, since you are selling products, so uh, the products come from where? They are made um, in the US or yeah. come outside? Mostly, mostly it's, it's made in China, actually. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. somebody is importing the products into the US, paying the shipping fees and the duty. So who is the importer in the US? Uh, usually, uh, we work with uh, like a DDP terms, which means it's uh, you know all all taxes paid in inside the the quotation of the of the shipment. So usually, bas basically, you know, I, okay, now I mean what I, I know what I mean by by general operations. So basically, uh, we um, uh, we order, we develop our products, we uh, contact Chinese factories, and then we develop the the products through. Uh, uh, through them, uh, we check samples and we we agree on uh, on terms, and then basically place the, the orders to the, in the to the Chinese factories, and they uh, they ship the products to our freight forwarders of choice. You know, we have freight forwarders companies that we work with since several years, and they ship the products directly to the U.S. Uh, FBA warehouse. Okay, so basically we just pay one flat fee. Uh, included of taxes and everything, and we don't need to buy custom bonds. We don't need to have our own uh, our own um, uh, uh, to to uh, to work with customs basically in the U.S. So it's everything uh, managed by the freight forwarders, and until you know the products get to the FBA warehouse, we get we get the email that the products are checked in, and and then we start selling. Uh, once the factory ships to our freight forwarders, then uh, you know they are they are in charge of uh, shipping the products to to the FBA warehouse. Um, we work with uh, several freight forwarders since se several years, and uh, they basically ship the products directly to to the FBA warehouse, including in the price the all the ta taxes and custom duties. So they are in charge of that of that of doing the custom clearance. We don't need to um, worry about that. Uh, basically, until the product reaches uh, the FBA warehouse and. Uh, uh, we get the products checked in and we start selling like uh, everybody else. So, so uh, when, the, when the shipment arrives in the US, somebody has to be declared as the importer of the goods, right? So 
Uh, is that the freight forwarder company that does that? Uh, yes. Yes, they are the, the ones who basically declare things for us. Okay, so they That's are right. the importer of record. So yes. on, on the books, really, they, are, they appear to be making purchases, but without any sale, right? They are not selling anything. Yeah, uh, honestly, you know, I'm not like 100% sure how that b works in their own books. But, you know, eventually uh, we just uh, show to our bookkeepers, to our accountants, I mean, the, the invoices that we get from the, from the freight forwarders and from the, um, uh, from the factories. And then that's basically our costs, including of all duties. Okay. Um, so I guess, yeah, they have a different than way to uh, account for their their expenses but yeah they basically invoice us of the shipment service including the custom duties okay yeah, yeah so there i mean there are certain requirements sometimes restrictions sometimes limitations on the kind of products that you can bring into the country as an importer, you may need to get an import license and things like that, depending on the kind of product. So it's all on the freight forwarder because they are acting as the importer of the products. So, yeah. uh, okay. It's a different, yeah, it's right. a different service that this is not your typical freight forwarder service. This is going over and above just handling the shipment, right? Yes, but uh, I think, uh, you know, I've heard lots of uh, actually U.S. sellers using the same method. I mean, it just uh, yeah. takes uh, a lot of uh, work out of, of your shoulders and uh, it works perfectly. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, what would be honestly the advantages to do the custom clearance by yourself. I guess that there are because I, I never used it. I never did it uh, like myself. Uh, I always re relied on these uh, freight forwarding companies that have done that for us. And I know like most people um, that, that uh, I know actually do the same way. So it works. It works very well. Yeah, so let's now uh, continue from that point on. So the merchandise arrived. So as you know, especially after COVID, Amazon puts limits on how much they will, they will receive on your behalf into the FBA warehouse. So a lot of companies have either their own warehouse or a 3PL so that whenever they are shipping containers or whatever, it goes to 3PL and then from 3PL you break it up into small shipments and then send them to FBA warehouse as depending on right. whatever you are allowed to do. So is that the operation you have? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, recently, as you know, the restock limits uh, went uh, uh, off. So uh, we, you can send pretty much as much as you like. I mean, there's still some limitations. Uh, but uh, during COVID time, yeah, for sure, I've used to work with uh, two, two, three PLs, one in East Coast and one in the West Coast. And uh, we were shipping products there and from there, you know, shipping to Amazon. We still actually do it for our like best-selling products. We always keep some uh, reserve stock uh, inventory in, in each of these uh, warehouses so that, you know, uh, in case of any sales spikes uh, or, you know, unforeseen events that delays our ship 
shipments, then we always have some reserve inventory to to um, replenish our FBA inventory. Okay. But, so mm-hmm. uh, from what I'm hearing is for anybody who wants to use this model, it's essential to have a 3PL to handle your excess inventory or... I believe what they are doing now is they do still, especially if you are a brand new seller, you're just starting out, you will have limits because they don't want to just take in, they don't want to be a warehouse and storing your mm-hmm. products. Since you have no track record, they are going to want to start with a limit. And also what they are doing is rather than putting a limit on per SKU, they are putting a limit on the seller account. And then you can use that limit any way you want. Uh, but then again, you know, if you are performing and you have fairly significant amount of, you know, volume, then they're not going to get in front of, you know, your sales. They're, they are going to support it. Uh, but challenge is usually, you know, when you are not so big, too big to be small, but too small, too small to be big. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's where yeah. the, the problem is so no man's land so um okay so uh, so you're basically managing everything online so when when the shipment leaves you're tracking and then once it arrives here uh, you can decide what to send to fba and and so on and so forth is that the way it goes yeah yeah for sure you know um some products you know i i I didn't see them maybe for maybe my photographer have seen some of the products before my before me you know because uh uh they are the ones that need to see the products first you know so definitely yeah, I I have like a very low touch type of uh operations because uh um I I'm not in the US I um and I manage everything from different places uh, so yeah, last year I was in in Italy. Now I'm in uh, I'm in Bali. So, um, but that's pretty much you know the the type of operations that we do in in ninety uh, percent. I would say it's similar to U.S. based sellers. Yeah. So you mentioned your photographer. So basically, when you buy something, there is in some cases there is no listing yet. Listing has to be created after the shipment arrives here. Is that the case? Yeah, uh, of course. The, so the the listing is always created basically um, as soon as we need to uh, create the shipment. So when once the product is uh, is uh, you know ready to be shipped in our factory, then we create the we create the listing and uh, create the shipping plan. Um, so yeah, only at that point the the listing is just created just to have an ASIN to work on and then uh, the actual uh, copy and uh, pictures they they are actually uploaded um, as soon as the product ar- arrives in the warehouse uh, so in, in in FBA I mean okay that usually so creating the ASIN is a significant step of course right because that ASIN will get a URL so uh, that URL, if it contains the keywords, that's an advantage for you, right? Do you do you utilize that? That it is sometimes referred to as canonical URL. Do you, you yeah. utilize that? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so basically what we do is that we need to have uh, at least the, uh, some basic keyword research done before we create the product on, on Amazon. So uh, we input really, we, we just uh, uh, put keyword stuff, the title uh, in the very beginning, just to create the canonical URL that has as many keywords as possible. And then once the, the product is actually in FBA, we redo everything. We modify the title in a way that it complies to our SOPs to, to create a listing copy. And then we add the images and so on. So we, we put, uh, we make the listing ready as soon as the product is in FBA. But before that, yes, we take advantage of this, let's say, trick of the canonical URL in order to uh, have more chance to make the product ranking uh, rank in, uh, in Google search uh, that's essentially for the canonical url it's used for google discoverability so that's that's uh, how to use that and then uh, actually the canonical url should be uh, should contain keywords that are that rank well on google uh, not much on amazon because uh, that's where you know it's going to be used so yeah we do some like basic keyword research on google and uh, keyword stuff the title as soon as we create the ASIN for the first time, just to imprint those keywords in the canonical URL. And then, yeah, we move from there. Yeah. So this is uh, for the benefit of the listeners. Canonical URL is, is the, the URL that's amazon.com forward slash dp forward slash whatever comes after that, those are keywords that are selected from the title that you submit when you first create the ASIN. So it is always a good idea not to rush into creating those listings uh, like you are doing. You do the keyword research and you figure out what will be the keyword strategy, at least preliminarily. Uh, you know, what keywords am I going to go after? You have to do this research and de determine which keywords you are going to associate yourself with. And once you do that, if you create the title in a way uh, that will work best with those keywords, and there is a specific way to line them up, then the first five words, not six, but five mm -hmm. words, will be picked up and then they'll become part of your URL. And so if you don't do this in a deliberate way, using the structure that Amazon looks for, then Amazon system will pick any five words from your title and then that will become your canonical URL. Uh, so that's very important. And it all has to do with where you put the hyphen or dash. So uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tricky situation, but there is definitely huge value in doing the research and then creating the ASINs in a after structuring your title in a specific way. Then you, then you ask, you can't go back and change it, right? Once it's created, you're done. That is, that is there permanently, right? Yes, yes, should be. Although I've heard all kinds of things uh, that uh, there is some people who are able to, to do that. I still haven't learned that trick. Uh, if I do, I will let you know. Uh, but uh, as 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 long as I, as far as I know, right now it is uh, uh, said and done the first time. 
but there are some rumors that says that some people are able to <laughs> to change it. But yeah. Well, you know, and, and technology, anything is possible. After all, this is masking, right? They are because really in the behind the scenes, it, it's it's a bunch of gibberish that is in the URL that just redirects the, that that those words are basically search engine friendly ways for the URLs to be created, but they are really pointing to, you know, database references. It can be changed, I assume, if they figured it out. But then I would question, you know, if, if your listing was picked up, the reason why you would want to change it is because you realize, oh, this was wrong. But in the meantime, it got indexed all over the place. And if you change it now, there'll be dead URLs. So... <laughs> I, I don't know. That would be my first question. If you want to change, why would you want to do that? You'll have dead URLs. Anyway, all right, I understand uh, the operation. So as far as the rest of the operation is ju just online, managing your campaigns, managing your uh, replenishment for the FBA warehouse and things like that, right? So um, tell us some of the challenges you have in this kind of an uh, operating structure? Uh, well, the challenges are uh, like most, uh, I guess most people are facing uh, since a couple of years. It's uh, logistics. It's, uh, it's a big challenge because uh, um, logistics and pro production, you know, uh, everything has slowed down because of several reasons, because of COVID, because of uh, um, like power shortage in China, uh, so uh, you, you need to basically plan everything much uh, ahead. Um, so it makes everything more difficult. Uh, also, with the fact that um, shipping costs are uh, raised uh, um, uh, significantly in the past couple of years, uh, before I was shipping much more by air, uh, but now it's bas basically totally abandoned, you know, the, that route and uh, only ship by sea, which typically takes between 30 to 60 days, uh, depend what kind of shipment do you use. So uh, you need to plan much way ahead uh, if you want to have the the products uh, arriving on time uh, at, at the FBA warehouse. So that's one of the main challenge. Uh, also, you know, raising competition, you know, people um, um, just uh, lowering their prices just to get um, just to get some more market share. Although I, I, I should say I don't have that much of a problem uh, in my case because uh, uh, my brand actually sells for the highest price in the niche and we are the best sellers in the niche. So that's actually something I, I'd like to share with people that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to raise your price and try to um, uh, position your brand always uh, as a as a premium brand, so that you can command also higher prices and uh, higher margins. Because I think that's that's has that that has been one of the main challenges I've had, you know, in the past couple of years, which I happen to solve. Uh, let's say in the last uh, nine months uh, to one year is the profitability of the products. Uh, you know, like uh, there is a uh, prices. Uh, go down relatively to the to even if there is inflation, you know, generally uh, the the margins go down, and because also PPC costs go up. So um, 
being able to manage the profitability of your products has become a challenge for many. And uh, yeah, I, I should say now I'm, I, I feel much better and much more confident about that. Uh, but that has been uh, definitely one of the challenges yeah, together with, together with the logistics. And the reason why you feel confident is because you increased your prices? Um, the reason why I feel more confident is that the, I managed to optimize my listings and my brand in a way that it's positioned uh, as, as the premium brand in the niche uh, so that basically people actually are more attracted to this product and they, they don't mind paying more uh, compared to other products. So uh, that gives me higher margins and uh, also like being able to ha having higher um, volumes now allows me to place very large orders to my with my factory and also so, so that I can negotiate uh, very good prices with my factory and also with the freight forwarders. So now I'm basically getting much better rates both from the factory and from the freight forwarders. So that gives me an, an advantage. So uh, it keeps my, um, my margins higher than probably the, 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 what, what my competition has. And uh, another reason is that uh, I've, let's say, improved much more, you know, my understanding of uh, my, my processes and systems around uh, listing optimization. So my, my best-selling uh, ASIN is converting over 20%, which is uh, very, very high, actually. Uh, so uh, basically, my PPC costs are also uh, much lower because the, the listing converts well. So I have quite low A costs. Uh, so it, it's a number of factors, obviously, that contributes to, yeah. to make, you know, everything run more smoothly. So this is a good segue to my next question. So what are some numbers you are watching uh, at macro level as well as, you know, when you drill down? What are those, you know, yeah. and what is the frequency? How often? Yeah, so that's a great question because it's actually uh, something that I also uh, coach other sellers about. Uh, um, I have several clients that uh, I work with uh, about these topics, uh, like managing your numbers and systemizing your business. So one of the topics is this is exactly this one: how to create a scorecard. What I what I call a scorecard, which is basically essentially a very simple uh, spreadsheet. Um, that I that me and my team update every every week. So every Monday, uh, we have a number of uh, uh, metrics that each of us update, and these are basically the the most important metrics uh, to to give you a, a very good understanding at one glance of what's the the let's say the. Um, um, the current situation of the business. So this is a very, very important habit that I suggest every, every Amazon seller to start implementing because uh, uh, many times, you know, um, uh, problems comes up and people figure out that there is a problem maybe with weeks uh, of delay, right? They don't even know there is a problem un unless they are tracking the right metrics so basically um it's like uh for example to give you an example it's like the dashboard in your car 
right? You, in your car, once you sit, you see, you know, the speed at which you're going, you see the, the level of, the, of oil, uh, you see if there is any icon, you know, uh, flashing out to, to tell you whether it's something is, uh, something bad is going on or not, you know, so it's a dashboard. Uh, it's a dashboard that is telling you at one glance. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, some of the main metrics that I look at is obviously revenue, um, then uh, PPC spending, uh, then uh, tacos. That's one of the most important. So the total total ECOS, so also including organic sales. I always uh, strive to maintain tacos at uh, less than 15% and uh, usually I go between 10 okay another matrix that I look at is ta tacos uh, which is a total ACOS right uh, basically that includes the um, the organic sales and the PPC sales which I you know, recommend to keep at less than 15 percent depends on your margin obviously but uh, that's my target uh, I usually run with uh, some somewhere between 10 and uh, 13 percent but maximum I, I look at uh, 15 percent tacos so uh, in case uh, that goes over 15%, that's kind of a red flag for me to uh, start acting and do something. I like to keep my takeoffs at uh, around 15%. If it goes over that, it's a red flag to me that is telling me I need to do something um, because uh, my spending is growing too much. Uh, so uh, that's that's basically an indicator for me to act and check on the on this metrics on what could be the cause of this increased uh, increased uh, takeoffs. Uh, so some other some other metrics we have uh, we track is the product development funnel. Uh, this is something I've developed myself. It's um, basically I track the whole process uh, from you know product research to evaluation to sampling, uh, so create, ordering samples and uh, creating the submitting the, the, the first order to the factory because I want to make sure that I'm always in the pro product development phase. I want to always to uh, create more products. So I basically uh, follow the, the products throughout the funnel from product research to first order and see how this develop. And I wanna, I wanna see basically these numbers going uh, moving from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. And then we have some like marketing metrics, like number of followers uh, in, in our different social media accounts, and also a number of emails that we collect from customers through our uh, lead magnets or uh, uh, Shopify uh, accounts. And, um, and also uh, the influencers outreach. And uh, so like how many influencers we reach out to every week and how many we close. And lastly, uh, I started recently also to track conversion rates, which I think it's the most important 
metric uh, of um, anything else, <laughs> the most important one. So uh, for, for all the products I have, I track the conversion rate of each of them uh, week by week. And I check if, if there is anything off um, for, for, a, for a certain period of time, then I start looking at what could be the causes of that and, and act on it. So this is an essential tool for you to take control of your business. I think I could not run a business without that. I would feel like running it blind. So I really suggest anybody to have uh, some sort of a scorecard, like I call it, because it's, um, yeah, it's essential to to make uh, good decisions in your business, also in in a promptly manner. You know, because maybe uh, if you don't have something like that, you might uh, discover the the problem when it's too late. Okay, yeah. so that makes you, uh, yeah, get so, a pulse of that. So you said so many things. So uh, numbers happen to be my main interest area, and you you mentioned the the magic metric that that I love one of the two magic bullets that I always call for success on Amazon and that's conversion rate so uh, we'll get to it in a second but I heard something for the first time that I'd like to learn more about and I'm sure our listeners will want to know um, your product development tell me about what is the metric what is the calculation of the metric are you looking at how many how many products you have and how many days and describe that a little bit more yeah so basically what i just mentioned that i track it's uh, the different steps of the funnel so uh, always you know during the product research you you start with uh, um, with looking at products right then evaluating them then uh, you choose some of those products and uh, you know start contacting factories and then uh, for 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 some of the the good factories you know you uh, order samples and then from the samples you might create a first order and then ship the products okay so this is a funnel basically you start with a lot of products that you're looking at and uh, they you, you screen um, uh, every time you, you go a step further in the funnel, you uh, eliminate some options and you go forward with uh, other options, right? So that's what I track, basically. I have, uh, I have my own system to evaluate uh, products. I created a quite complex uh, spreadsheet that gives me some metrics that I don't see in, uh, in, in any tools. Uh, this is something actually I will release to everybody uh, to to use for themselves in the in the near future. Um, but essentially, yeah, that's what what I'm I'm tracking. So basically, through this spreadsheet, I start with uh, an idea list with maybe let's say more than a hundred ideas. Then I pick only the the best ones, which I I start. Uh, with um, I start doing a more uh, deeper levels of evaluations uh, on the, on the best ones. Then the 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 ones that pass my evaluations, um, basically, then I start contacting uh, factories, and then uh, you know that moves on to to the so you're ordering tracking, samples. You're tracking number of items in each stage. Is that in what each stage? Right. Exactly. Okay. Do you track how long each stage lasts or not? Because that's also part um, of efficiency, right? So if you 
if you have for let's say you have five different stages and each one takes five days are you also tracking on this product i took 10 days on this product i took three days are you tracking that or not uh it's it, i'm not tracking it by product uh, by you know simply uh putting these numbers in the in this tracker in the scorecard that i mentioned uh, you can see like how these numbers are moving from one step to another but yeah it, it would be it would be interesting also to track that is just uh, something i have not um, done yet but uh, uh, based on my experience i let's say i, I know the um, how long it it, it's taking me for on each step and uh, uh, that you're right that it's always you know a, a metric that I keep in mind to to streamline you know the, the process and make it more efficient so yeah so conversion rate is what you mentioned uh, so just to recap for the listeners benefit so a cost is advertising cost of sale and that's tracked as a percentage what that means is you paid hundred dollars in advertising and and you generated $300 in sales from those clicks that you paid for, that's 30% ACoS, right? $100 you paid, those clicks generated $300. So that's 30% ACoS. Uh, however, you also get organic search, people clicking, they are searching, and then your listing comes up, especially as you rank up, as you do well with your promotional efforts, you rank up, and when you rank up, you get advertised you know, organic sales that you don't pay for, and they also end up becoming a sale. So now what you have in that same period, you may generate a thousand dollars in sales in total, and you have hundred dollars you paid in advertising, paid clicks, generated three hundred dollars in advertised sales, a thousand dollars total. So your A cost is thirty percent, but your take cost is 100 versus 1,000 is 10%, right? That's what you are tracking. Because what matters at the end of the day, you can advertise all day long. As long as your takeoff is within an acceptable number, in your case, you said 15% is what you are happy with. And if it goes over 15%, you, uh, um, you do something about it. Um, conversion rate, on the other hand, is is what I call one of the magic bullets. And that is you, you bring all those sales, you know, the thousand dollars worth of sales. That is the result of X number of people landing on your product page. Now, how do you make more of the people to buy the product, right? So, so let's say that you brought 10,000 people to the page and a thousand of them bought. You convert it at 10%. If you make that 10%, 15%, you've got 1,500, right? <laughs> Versus 1,000. So your roll return. So conversion rate is, is the last golden bullet uh, that I, I say go, magic golden bullet. If you work on that, you'll always, uh, you'll always be solving all your problems. Your advertising will be much better, your sales, your margin. Uh, and of course, this is a moving target. You have to look at it all the time, uh, every time. Uh, and at the same time, like you can't look at it Monday and Wednesday. Uh, you have to look at it for the same time period and look at it in perspective. What was it this week, last week, last month, last quarter, last year, last year, this quarter? 
all these comparisons you have to be doing and you have to look at it in, conjun in uh, conjunction with the things that you have done. So, because uh, conversion rate does not live on its own. Uh, it's, uh, it is the result of certain things. What is it that you did and then what happened? Maybe it didn't work, it dropped. So if you don't know what you did, the drop is not going to mean anything to you. So things like that. And also when you increase your traffic, conversion rate always goes down because more numbers, less. So if you don't know these things, obviously, um, you know, it, it's not going to mean as much. So uh, I can talk all day about conversion rate. So, so now I want to talk about uh, your team because you've got something in there. So describe to us quickly what your team looks like to run this operation and uh, share with us there's something about how you put your team together. So uh, share with us mm -hmm. that information. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So uh, I've changed my, you know, my team members uh, a couple of times already. I've learned uh, a lot of lessons throughout the years. Uh, my current setup is just basically with three people, including me. Uh, plus, yeah, of course, there's like like freelancers and so on, but uh, mostly, you know, the people working uh, on a daily basis is just three, like me, uh, a designer uh, who is also a photographer and um, <clears throat> copy copywriter, and um, and a marketing manager who does uh, basically operations and uh, manages uh, social media. So um, basically, you know, I, I do most of the um, work in terms of product development and also um, PPC management. And uh, my marketing manager does uh, cooperate with a designer in order to create all the all the creatives like uh, the product pictures the photography the a plus content uh, the cop the listing copy and so on um, they also do the, um, the keyword research on the products and um uh, yeah the, the and then manage you know the all the, the marketing parts on and off amazon like um the most mostly off Amazon actually like the social media management uh, in uh, different platforms uh, also the influencers outreach and uh, as I said the photographer the, the designer instead you know is the one that does the the actual designs uh, together with like get, getting the inputs from the marketing manager and then uh, also does the photography. So she's the first person who gets the product as soon as it's uh, ready. And then she makes the photographies and, and as, after that creates the, the graphics of our, of our listings. So yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And I also, I forgot that um, the, the marketing manager also has some other like operational uh, tasks like uh, inventory management. So she's the one who creates uh, shipping plans and um, and does uh, now also customer service, like replying emails uh, from the Shopify users or, or from Amazon or Q&A and so on. So it's a little bit do doing everything like a, like a brand manager, uh, but more focused on, on marketing. And then on the other side, the designer, it's just doing creative tasks so uh, when you and i uh, spoke you mentioned because finding good people is the biggest challenge right so you need people in order to grow and of course 
in order to grow, finding these people becomes a huge task and you find some, someone really good, then, you know, you are in luck. Uh, but True. that's the biggest challenge. So uh, you developed a, a process to find the right person for the, the jobs that you have or the responsibilities. So share with us a little bit about your your process right right yeah for sure for sure that's uh that's a very interesting question because uh uh we have uh like my partner and i have uh created a poll on linkedin which was quite successful which was asking people what what, what is the ma uh, main challenge for uh for amazon sellers when looking for uh, to, to hire a va and uh, the vast majority of people answered that it was the difficulty to identify the right candidate right so the main problem is that you pull you put your job description into one of these uh, um, platforms like uh, upwork or online jobs you start getting lots of candidates but then the million dollar question is like who's the right candidate to join my team right so you you never know uh, it's very difficult to identify that and uh, another like funny thing is that most people if you ask most people will agree that hiring it's a critical process in your in your business like literally hiring the right person can be uh, a game changer for your business while if you hire the wrong person it's uh, it's it's a disaster you know it's going to take you money and effort and it's going to be very painful so it is a critical operation inside your business but yet most people don't have a, a process or a system and they use what i call like, the the manual way uh, basically, the, so just to describe it quickly, uh, they simply create a very general job post in, in just one platform. And then, you know, they start getting some, some candidates and uh, waste a lot of time, you know, screening the CVs, uh, looking for different information that uh, these candidates, you know, shared with them. And then just deciding on, they start making decisions on little data and uh, mostly gut feelings. And uh, they pick one or few people for uh, an interview, which again is not a structured uh, interview with um, um, ask, asking basically different random questions. And, uh, and, you know, in the end, they basically uh, don't create any data structure that help them to uh, make a good decision and they end up e either being frustrated with uh, uh, figuring out who can be the best candidate uh, and, and many times you know like it happened to me in the past you know uh, uh, many people end up hiring the wrong person and go through all the frustration that goes with it so Basically, um, a few, um, like se several actually months ago, I met uh, my, my current partner on, on this uh, new venture um, that is basically an automation uh, expert. Uh, and he has been uh, basically uh, hiring VAs as a, as a service for other companies for several years. And he, in order to do this on a, on a scale, you know, to, to hire several VAs for several companies as a service, he developed basically a system that uh, uh, automates majority of the tasks 
during the uh, hiring process and also makes it much, much simpler and more effective to identify who's the best candidate. So basically, I started by being a user of his system and then I fell in love with that And uh, because I, I actually hired my last uh, few uh, team members through this system. So I fell in love with that and then we partner up to to basically offer it to uh, everyone else. Um, so this which is, is available. This is available for others to use. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we recently launched it. Let's say in a, let, let's say a soft launch because uh, um, we, we we still haven't done in any like big launch, but uh, it's a, it's a proven and tested process that um, that has been working to uh, has been uh, has hired basically over a hundred uh, VAs for for dozens of companies. So uh, it's a process that is already working since long time, and we just recently. Uh, really just a few weeks ago uh, made it available for other people to to order and use in their own business that's great so uh, we obviously want to know more about it but uh, we'll uh, I'm sure we can give people information about where they can learn more about it so um, for the little time we have left I want to learn a little bit about you so uh, enough business talk so uh, so we know you are uh, from Italy. So uh, tell us where you grew up and and what was your experience growing up that kind of led the way to what you do today? Okay, yeah, sure. So basically, I'm from Sicily, uh, which is another island. So I jumped from islands to islands. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was basically. So you're not. You're not. Wait a minute. So you're not Italian. You are Sicilian, right? It's totally. Different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm CC exactly totally different. Yeah, we're more like North African than uh, Italians. Yeah, yeah I, I, I know the difference <laughs> yes. to know better. <laughs> I don't want to call it Sicilian Italian. So okay, so go ahead, continue. Yes, yes. So then, basically, you know, I I studied uh, economics in uh, in Italy, and then I uh, I uh, spent uh, like six months in Sweden during my university. And that's where I really, you know, uh, fell in love with living abroad uh, because, uh, you know, talking with uh, several people from all around the world, uh, that's where I learned English, by the way. You know, I arrived there without, you know, speaking a word of English. And uh, I realized that I really love to live abroad. And uh, basically, after university, I took a, a, like a master program that um, led me to China. I was like six months in, in, in Italy, six months in Shanghai. And uh, basically, I ended up living in, in Shanghai for six years. Uh, the, in Shanghai, I had some of the best experiences in, of my life, uh, especially like business-wise. That's where I started my, my first business, essentially like, uh, I, I worked uh, nine months in my life for for other companies, and uh, and then I started my my first startup uh, when I was like 24. So at that time, basically, I had be, being Italian, you know, I, I was missing my food, uh, my good Italian food from uh, right from my place. So. Um, I found that uh, lots of other foreigners in, in Shanghai were feeling the same. So basically, uh, I joined uh, uh, another 
um, a, like a Chinese uh, Chinese friend. Uh, together we we started this uh, project called the Group Mall. We, it was basically like a platform. We developed a platform uh, to to basically um, sell uh, group buy deals on food products that we were you know importing from all over the world. So yeah, we were we were basically filling that gap that uh, lots of people were looking for uh, cheap but good food. Uh, so through group buying, we were providing that and uh, we were lucky enough to be picked by uh, like a, a VC, uh, like a venture capitalist firm that uh, basically invested in us through an accelerator. And uh, that was uh, an amazing experience that totally changed my life because uh, you can understand, you know, the level of um, expertise and knowledge that we were um we were uh, exposed to in this uh, uh, th th thanks thanks to the these VCs you know that were providing us a top level mentors and investors to to uh, uh, that were giving suggestions on how to run the business. Nonetheless, I basically made all the mistakes possible. Uh, I, I that was my first uh, venture, and I was 24, and uh, everything was on my shoulders, and and uh, I, I basically uh, did uh, all kinds of mistakes. Uh, the, the company ended up like after after two years, I end up end up ended up closing that company um, because uh, you know there was not too much going on. Uh, we we basically spent all the money that we were given, <laughs> and uh, you were like kids in a candy store. You, exactly, you, you were you were buying the stuff that you like to eat, and somebody gave you a lot of cash to spend. Exactly, you wanted. <laughs> well, that's like a dream for any entrepreneur. Exactly, exactly. So, um, for um, an entrepreneurial perspective, I, I, I think I've learned um, so much just in a couple of years, and uh, that made me realize like how important systems and processes were because uh, I didn't even know the word SOP at that time. You know, uh, I was I was totally running blind uh, and uh, uh, doing whatever it was coming at me every day. It was in a reactive mode. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm so fond now on uh, systems and SOPs because I know that the reason of my uh, previous failure was uh, the lack of systems and processes, right? So that's why now I put much more emphasis on that. You know, I even ended up creating this podcast called The Seller Process, which we're all about systems and SOPs, because, you know, from that experience, I learned that it's really the key to scale any business and to, to manage a business properly and effectively. So, yeah, I mean, after that, you know, I just um, tried all kinds of businesses. I, I've been in maybe 10 different businesses in a span of the next two years. And one of these was also the Amazon uh, FBA, which in 2018 was the, the main thing, you know, the main, uh, what, what, what lots of people were talking about on YouTube. And I said, okay, let's try. I was doing like uh, three other businesses at the same time. Um, and uh, that, you know, ended up then being my full-time 
business right I mean, now. Amazon and I, business I gave up. is all about systems and processes, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. So it's the perfect fit. So um, tell us, uh, tell us about how people can connect with you and give us your contact information. It will put it on our website and also with uh, the episode, wherever the episode is published, but also the information on your hiring process, how people can find out more about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. People can find me typing my name, Gianmarco Meli. Um, and uh, you can write me, if you like, uh, to my email. is uh, gm at uh, thesellerprocess.com. And uh, the you can reach us to to us through you know the also the website uh, thesellerprocess.com. And um, for if you want to le- learn more about the hiring system, it's it's very simple because uh, you know the, the URL is thesellerprocess.com/slash/hiring-system. Uh, so thesellerprocess.com/slash hiring system, you will find uh, uh, all the information about the the hiring system I mentioned before, and uh, and uh, you you can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or by email if you would like to learn more. Uh, obviously, I'm happy to do that. And and by the way, actually, in our website, if you just stay on the homepage, uh, you will find like a WhatsApp um, chat. That you can uh, that you can use and that will connect to me directly. So, um, yeah, you can also use the the WhatsApp chat in our homepage web uh, on the website. Great, thank you, Gianmarco. This was great. Uh, you touched a lot of uh, important subjects, and being the the nomad that you are, and uh, running a completely remote operation. Uh, looking at numbers, this is uh, doesn't really matter where you are based. You have to know your numbers and you have to be watching them and, and you have to have systems in process. This was great. Thank you, Gianmarco. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. And this brings us to the end of another episode and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.